Welcome to Beyond Consulting. I'm your host, Stephen Haug. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Cliff Bluestein, Global President and CEO at Appis Health and former management consultant from PwC. But before we dive into Cliff's story, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, ECA Partners. ECA is a project staffing and executive search firm that focuses on private equity and former consultants. If you're looking to grow your leadership team, check them out by visiting eca-partners.com. Cliff, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Thank you for having me here, Stephen. Good. Well, I've been really looking forward to our conversation here because your path after consulting, I would say, is uh, just as exciting and interesting as your path before consulting. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, earlier in your career. Love to hear about start. Yeah, I, I certainly has been an, an interesting path to a startup environment. But I started my career as a doctor, went from medical school into residency. Then uh, during a surgical residency, I took two years to do a research fellowship. From my research fellowship, I completed my training in urology and then went into private practice. And in private practice, uh, we were in a pretty entrepreneurial group that owned and operated surgery centers. I really had the bug for understanding the business and the business of healthcare and how to grow it. Uh, and I got my MBA while um, practicing as a urologist. And, and from there, as a physician, you know, one of the things that seemed to make a lot of sense was to really go on the path of, of consulting. I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, first as a manager and then got promoted up through the ranks. And, and I did uh, projects that range everywhere from documentation and coding within hospital environments to uh, running the Office of Ambulatory Services for a large healthcare organization in Kentucky to international mergers, acquisition, and biocluster um, strategy uh, internationally all over the place. From there, I went to Dell. I ran uh, Dell's global healthcare consulting practice with teams in the U.S., the U.K., and the Middle East, became Dell's uh, chief medical officer. From there, I left to be uh, president and CEO of a public company called Computer Task Group. And then after CTG, I joined a company called Appos Health, first as its uh, chief medical officer and U.S. head, and then about uh, two and a half years ago as its global CEO. Wow. Well, that is quite a career. I, the transition from the medical field to the business field, I think, is is very interesting. Curious about the motivation there. For my, you know, it sounds like you're solving very interesting problems as an MD, uh, and then also solving interesting problems as a as a consultant. Is the motivation there just a change in, in problem solving, or is there something else that motivated the move? I've been a lifelong learner, and I find it very interesting and fascinating to continue to take my education and my learning to the next level. That's one of the reasons why I'm also an adjunct professor at the business school at NYU. Um, I found that the business aspects of healthcare were fascinating and how much of healthcare today um, is driven ultimately by how companies or, or physicians or practices ultimately make money. And I thought that learning about surgery centers, learning about laboratory services, learning about radiology within our own practice and how we were um, structuring the group to grow and expand into the healthcare environment was just really, really interesting. So I wanted to see, you know, was there a way for me to 
take my desire to ultimately have an impact on patients and delivering better care at a higher quality? Could I have a better impact on running a business or learning about a business than, than I could as a surgeon? Yeah, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense too, but of course, those are large decisions there. I mean, going to medical school, making the transition out of there, but it sounds like you found quite a way to marry everything that you're interested in these days. I want to dive into a little bit, dive in and hear a bit more about your your current organization and uh, your role there, what the goals of the company are. Yeah, when I joined Appos five years ago, you know, we really do have a mission to advance, you know, ultimately global health through the power of gait. And gait is really movement. And this was a medical device company that was really founded in Israel. It was a technology that looks like a shoe, but is designed in a way to help people that have knee pain and back pain really get better, improve their function and improve their their pain complaints. We were in the process of, of growing in the US and, and at the time, you know, we needed to really think strategically around how are we going to scale the business and what were the requirements that we needed in order to be successful. So it's an interesting company because we're now FDA cleared for knee osteoarthritis. We, we've started to get insurance coverage with multiple different payers. We've expanded to have delivery at our partner locations in multiple states, you know, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, California. And we're starting to really get a major adoption uh, across multiple different provider groups. So it's it's an exciting time to, to be at a startup. It's an exciting time to be uh, growing and, um, you know, healthcare is an exciting place to be in. Whenever it comes to startups, I would say some of the types of businesses that perhaps have the highest barrier to entry are maybe manufacturing because of the infrastructure you need to produce goods and then healthcare for perhaps regulatory reasons. And you've, you found a way to, to try and tackle both of those with one company. Did you step in or I guess how large was the company whenever you stepped in and what were some of the major hurdles on day one? The hurdles for any healthcare startup are enormous. Healthcare payers, by the very nature, have a tendency to be very conservative, often requiring a significant research base before they're comfortable moving ahead uh, with any new solution. And it doesn't matter if that's a medical device or a drug. Ultimately, its uh, adoption is very, very slow. It takes time to convince payers, it takes time to convince physicians, it takes time to convince patients that your product works. So I think the challenges for any startup company are extraordinary. I think you you need to think about all of the different constituents that ultimately can be impacted by by your company and by your device and, and start focusing on making it easy for people to get to yes, which is ultimately what you want to do. Tell us a bit more about your about the product. So it is a it, um, yeah, it yeah, is a shoe-like device which has two pods that sit underneath the specially made inbuilt rails on the bottom of the shoe. And then what we basically do is two different things. The first is we are able to offload a joint by placing these convex pods underneath the shoe based upon our algorithms and our training material in a way to offload the joint. By offloading a joint, you immediately get rid of the pain complaints that an individual has. 
and allow them to regain a more normal walking pattern. Then with the convexity of the pods, um, that helps to retrain the muscles in the new walking pattern. So when you take the device off, a patient remembers what it was like to walk with it on. So over time, um, we're able to change the way people's walk or their gait patterns uh, to be a healthier walking pattern that has better function and less pain. And it does it through uh, really treatment at home. So all a patient needs to do is wear it for up to about an hour a day uh, while they're doing their normal activities. So it's relatively easy to do, has a high compliance rate, and it is uh, amazingly effective which is one of the brilliances of its simplicity. So many times when solutions look simple, people have a hard time believing that it works. But many times the best solutions are simple in, in their very nature. Good. Well, that that is very exciting. And this is something that will be prescribed by physicians or providers? Yeah, we're FDA cleared for knee osteoarthritis, of which uh, the FDA clearance had a prescription. So for the most part, uh, uh, physical therapists are recommending it, uh, orthopedic surgeons, sports medicine doctors, rheumatologists, and primary care are prescribing it. Okay. So there's folks out there using your product right now? Yeah. You know, we've sold more than 110,000 of these things globally. Okay. Wow. That is really exciting. Is the United States the largest market? Right now, the United States is the largest market. Good. Well, I think this is an endlessly fascinating discussion just to learn more about the, the product itself. But of course, I want to hear about how consulting has played into your, your career. Can you tell us a bit about the decision to, to leave consulting? You know, whenever you joined consulting, did you plan on staying in it for, for your career? Or did you always plan on building that toolkit and then uh, moving into startups? Yeah, I mean, listen, consulting is an incredible place to be. Uh, and I thought when I was leaving medicine that there could be no better profession than for me to go into than consulting just for the reason what you said. Ultimately, as a consultant, you develop a very strong toolkit uh, based upon the projects, the clients, the locations that, that you've been to. And, and over time, it, you build that at a very accelerated pace because you're seeing multiple different iterations of whatever area you happen to be focusing on. So it's an amazing way to very rapidly develop skills uh, that are pretty broad based. And it's interesting and fascinating as can be. I mean, I could think of no better job to have than as a consultant. You get to deal with people. You get to learn new things on, on a daily basis. You get to do research to try and find more and interesting and creative solutions to really challenging problems. So it, it was an act, act wonderful um, career with which to learn. And I've been very lucky to have experiences that go you know, not only within the US, but actually global in nature. I think the, the nature in terms of trying to figure out what to do next is to some extent happenstance, which happens in many people's careers. So, you know, I was reaching out to my network and when I was reaching out to my network, uh, actually looking for a guest, a speaker in one of my classes, they ultimately said there's a position opened at Dell to be a global head of healthcare consulting. Is it something that you're interested in? And, you know, timing is everything in, in life. And it sounded like it'd be a fascinating uh, job to be able to go and and manage a consultancy 
own a profit and loss center and and actually ultimately be responsible for for delivering you know a, a revenue um, for for a company and, and doing it at scale uh, seemed like a really interesting opportunity which um, I was lucky enough to, to take but even in that role it was still in and around consulting um, really until I got to CTG uh, where you know I was uh, running a public company mm-hmm so the public company path uh, and then to the to the startup world there, what was that decision like? A recruiter came and said, hey, listen, there's an interesting role at a public company. You know, do you want to learn more about it? I was looking to scale healthcare and figure out a way that the healthcare systems could work to deliver quality and outcomes to many more people than I could ever do as a surgeon. So each step that I was taking along the way was really thinking about, is there a way that we could potentially have greater impact on individuals in the healthcare system? And I thought that there was going to be another opportunity to be able to do that. I think when you're working for large corporations or larger corporations, um, there are always challenges and constraints within that. But to some extent, um, I felt that I was getting farther and farther from the direct care and management to patients and being able to have a direct impact. And, and after CTG, that was one of the things that attracted me to the startup world, which is an ability to, to really grow a solution that could have a more of a direct impact on patients uh, than some of the consulting and, and other work that I had been doing. It's exciting to hear the motivation there as well. That was something I was curious about. I was wondering if you were still able to, so I imagine there, there's a strong passion for for, for the medical world, just given your, your background there. And as a physician, I expect that you were able to have a very, you know, see the results of, of your efforts um, in real time and, and, and right in front of you effectively. And was curious, you'd, you're able to scratch that itch as a leader in the startup world. Yeah. I mean, listen, whatever you want to do, the, it, you have to be passionate about it. You know, ultimately, everyone has a certain skill set that they develop over time. But if you don't enjoy doing what you're doing, if you're not having fun, if you're not intellectually stimulated or stimulated with with other uh, values within the company or mission or or outcomes, it's going to be a challenge for you to be successful. So ultimately, it's important for you to do something that every morning you wake up and you get excited that you're doing it. So you've been a leader in the startup world for for a while now. What are some of the key traits that a leader in in a startup organization should have? You need to be able to innovate quickly, comfortable uh, making decisions with incomplete information, comfortable encouraging your teams to take ownership of the different aspects that they're doing and to fail fast. Many things that you do in the startup environment look wonderful on paper. And then when you get into executing on them, you realize that, that it wasn't so great. And you have to be able to acknowledge that something isn't working out and, and willing to make some adjustments and, and try new things. I think the speed with which a startup works uh, has to be 
very, very fast. So you're often making many decisions every single day around what direction you want the company to take. And you're making adjustments at a much faster clip than you would do in, in a more structured environment of of either a consultancy or, or a larger firm. So you need agility. You need comfort with making decisions in, a, in an environment where you don't have all the answers. You just have incomplete uh, information. You have to be comfortable with failure and understand that, you know, a lot of things that you're going to try aren't going to work. You need to be comfortable hearing no um, all day, every day, and, and not let it phase you because the barriers you have across everything is, is, is really hard. You know, you will hear no a lot and you need to be able to take that as a drive and say, okay, maybe it's no for today, but it's not no forever and, and continue to move forward. Are there other former management consultants on your leadership team? Yeah, one of the uh, our operations individual is also a, a former management consultant. But, you know, I'm a firm believer that in a startup environment, you need diverse groups of individuals that have different political views, different worldviews, different backgrounds, different uh, previous jobs and, and education base. And, and the more diverse you can make your team, the more people you have in the room to try and help you think through really challenging problems. You know, innovation is, is hard. And in order to really find some of the best solutions, you need a team of people from diverse backgrounds where, where they're comfortable speaking up and saying, hey, listen, I, have we thought about, you know, doing it differently? And at whatever level they are, they know that whatever comment they make, that that's going to be taken seriously and heard. And that, you know, what we often find in, in this type of an environment is that one person's idea is not the right one. Two people's ideas usually isn't the right one. And whatever the team comes up with um, ultimately is a better solution than anyone would have come up with alone. One of my mentors used to say that no one is smarter than everyone. And that was sort of the mentality of trying to get a, a team together to try and tackle difficult issues. Looking back at your career from the story that you've told us, you've been able to capitalize on opportunities to build your career to where it is today. Are there any, is there anything that you would have done differently looking back or if you could do it again? Somebody once told me a long time ago that if you go through your life and your career and you use the what if uh, calculation, that you usually lose that game because you envision the other option as being something much better than it probably would have played out to be. Having said that, I think, you know, one of the lessons I wish I would have learned earlier on in my career is the power of a network and that it's important to build your network unselfishly. You know, many people are building their networks in more of a transactional model. Uh, what I would say is, the more you reach out to other people, try and find out how you can help them, the better off you are. Uh, and the sooner you start that in the career, the better your um, lifelong outlook is going to be. And, and ultimately, even if it doesn't come back around to help you in any meaningful way, you can at least feel good that you've paid forward with other individuals. And, and I think the network is often how people find their next opportunity. Uh, the network is often how you find opportunities at the current company that you're in. 
and the broader the base of the people that you know of without your network, the, the more people you can tap into to try and help you think through problems or challenges as you go forward. So uh, my advice in terms of what I've learned in my career is, is network is king. And the only thing that you need to do within the network is build it unselfishly. And I think that that's a, it's a hard lesson to learn, or, um, but, and, and I wish I would have learned that earlier on in my career. I, I think the other thing when I look back on my career is you have to be comfortable taking risk. You will not be successful at everything that you do. And that's okay. Most people that you look at who are successful can tell you about spectacular failures that they've had in their career. And the question isn't, are you going to fail at some point or make one bad decision or one bad call or do one bad project? The question is, how do you recover from it? And how do you think through, you know, what are you going to do next that now that something didn't work out right? And, and how are you going to pick yourself up from that trough? Because, you know, there are peaks and valleys in, in consulting, there's peaks and valleys in business, and there's certainly peaks and valleys for individuals. That's really helpful advice, Cliff. And I, I think well, a lot of our, our audience is made up of folks who are currently consultants thinking about their next move. I think the idea that they should uh, lean on the network that they've built in consulting and then try to expand that is very helpful advice. Anything else that you would tell a consultant who perhaps is looking to move into an industry or into a company where they feel that they can have a real positive impact? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think one of the important things is don't chase a title. I think, you know, look for a role and an opportunity that you think is going to be interesting and exciting, and that will ultimately help your career long term. Be humble about where your career is and, and what your skill set is and be willing to take what externally may be considered a step back uh, in, in order to move forward. And I think those are, are hard lessons to learn. I think, you know, a lot of people get hung up on titles. But when I worked at Dell, my, you know, my boss was a vice president but he's running a multi-billion dollar business unit that, you know, arguably he could have been a Fortune 1000 CEO, but his title was vice president. So I, I think that, you know, take titles with a grain of salt, look for the role that you want, think about your career path and what are the skills you need to take it to the next level. Be comfortable taking a role that other people are going to say is a step back because ultimately many of those step backs, it may be for a short period of time, but the rest of your skill set will allow you to accelerate faster uh, than from that role than than others in the typical who, who are typically in it. Whenever you made the jump from consulting, were there any gaps in your skill set that you that you quickly learned about? Yeah, there are always gaps. I mean, listen, I think that no one is successful on their own. Um, I've been very lucky and fortunate to have coaches and mentors all along. Uh, and I think one of the most important things to learn is it's okay to say you don't know. Um, it's okay to say I need help. And the important thing is to try and recognize the areas that you have that are gaps and, and quickly fill them with other people who can complement you uh, in a way that, that those gaps uh, aren't gaps anymore. But yeah, I mean, listen, I'm still learning every day and there's still areas we can always improve upon. I think that, so, so the answer is yes, there are always gaps. 
uh, you're always learning. And, and the truth is, is, you know, the challenges that get pushed upon you are often not the ones that you ever expect. They're often more like black swan events like COVID that radically changed the way you have to think about, you know, the world and, and how things are going to move forward. That's interesting. What are some of the major hurdles that you've faced as a leader in your current organization? And tell us a little bit about how you've overcome those. You know, I think the biggest hurdle that you have in a startup is that one of the resources that you often need is capital, of which is, you know, always in, in short supply. So you never have enough capital to do all of the things that you want. So one of the biggest challenges you have as a leader is trying to figure out what's the right balance. You know, where do you put every single dollar when there's a never ending demand for more people, more technology, more resources, you know, more marketing, you name it, there's always a need for more of it. So one of the biggest challenges is how do you prioritize and, and how do you get the focus that you need in order to, to get the company to grow? Do you have some general advice to give folks if they're leading a startup, how much time to spend at, you know, fundraising versus growing their team versus working on the product? Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, um, most leaders that I know of in startups spend their time focusing on the areas that seems to be the biggest fire drill at that time. I think the hardest part of running a startup is pushing enough or delegating enough to the rest of the team and, and making sure that they're going to step up. So I think that your time as a leader is always inevitably spread thin. I think, you know, startups require everyone to get their hands dirty. You know, everyone has to do um, work and there's nothing that I'm not willing to do that, that we're asking our teams to do. So I think the answer is you need to find the right balance between managing your board slash investors. You need to have time to make sure that the product is going from a strategic perspective in, in the right direction. You need to be monitoring and tracking your sales and cash and, and everything else on the finance side. And you need to inspire your team to take their game to whatever level that they can. You know, hopefully, you're at an organization like ours that's mission driven. You know, we we know that we're having a huge impact on our patient populations and we see it every day when we hear the patient testimonials about how we've changed their lives. So that drives a lot of the people at our company. But but the leader has to create a vision that allows, you know, everyone to want to work their best, to want to uh, be inspired and, and take the game to a whole nother level. How many employees are there at Appis Health right now? Yeah, we have roughly 60 employees globally. Six zero? Six zero. Mm -hmm. And globally, what? how many folks are in the United States? Yeah, about uh, two thirds of them, roughly. Is there a, an office or is your entire team dispersed? We have a corporate headquarters in New York. We have a headquarters in London. We have the global company in Tel Aviv. But most of our teams are, even though we have offices, even before COVID, we're remote. Uh, where, you know, there's a balance between being in person and being with clients. And I think ultimately, even before COVID, we found that one or two days a week, was sufficient for the teams to get together to meet and collaborate and innovate and the rest of the time was focused really on on patients and and our clients for a a medical device startup how is your 
company structured between sales people, operations people, those sort of buckets? About roughly one third of our individuals have sales related roles. About a third are are back office and about another you know, 10 to 15 percent are clinicians and, and the rest have various roles that often spread between some of the different uh, buckets. You know, what you find in a startup is that unlike many corporate structures where you have someone that only does account management, someone that only does network development or sales, someone only does marketing, someone only does finance or operations. In a startup, more often than not, depending upon your stage, people have multiple functions. Mm, that's a good point. And so here at ECA Partners, we have a, a healthcare practice where we help our clients find executives for their for their leadership teams in the healthcare world. Oftentimes, what our clients are looking for in their candidates are, I'd say, at least two things. One, the candidates need to care about the mission, just to fit into the culture and to be effective employees, right? They need to care about what they're doing. Two, they need to be able to work in ambiguous environments. Is there anything else that you look for whenever you are interviewing or evaluating candidates for your team? Yeah, I mean, I like someone who's agile, who is able to be given one job description this week and then you know two or three months later, a different job description and, and is okay. I want someone who has had to deal with disappointment on a regular basis and knows how to work through it and, and have that drive them in a positive way instead of it being demoralizing. So I, I like people who to some extent have had failures in the past and have managed to work their way through it uh, because it demonstrates in a, uh, in a certain amount of resiliency uh, that you need to have in the environment. I, I want people who are able to think differently, be tolerant of other ideas, appreciate a constant feedback, uh, and are data-driven. Everything in our company has a number to it, a key performance measurement, a quality outcome score. Uh, we think it's very important that our data and analytics capabilities are pretty strong to help us drive behavior. So you want people who um, are lifelong learners and, and actually like to use data and think about data and, and have it drive their own performance. That's great. Cliff, this has been really interesting. I really enjoyed hearing your story. And I think a lot of the, the wisdom that you have shared with us is going to be extremely helpful to the folks listening today. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's important to continue to keep your skill sets up, you know, be lifelong learners be agile. Don't take yourself too seriously. Understand that there are going to be disappointments in, in for the company and probably for you individually and, and you know, push your way through it. Good. Well, Cliff, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond Consulting. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen.